good morning. Uh, I am so glad that you guys are here today. Uh, we are continuing along in our uh, just journey through the Word. Uh, we uh, have been probably for the last year and a half just taking a journey as we get in the Word together. Uh, there's several of us in this room that are reading a, a one-year Bible plan, and if you're not reading that, it's okay. Uh, all that means is that you're trying to read the Bible in a year. And what I'm trying to do when we're not doing a series in here is take the Word that hopefully um, that you're in during the week and give you an idea that we're not reading the word just so that you can check your box and say, hey, I got in the word this week and as a believer I should be doing that, but that God speaks in and through his word. And so that's what we're doing as we journey through the word. And this morning we are specifically going to be in John 6, um, starting in verse 25. So if you want to get there, we'll we'll, we'll get there in just a few minutes. And I, I just want to start off with a question. Here, here's, here's the question. Here's the, the one thing that I want you to walk out of here with, which I'm not going to give you the answer, but the text today will help you uh, eliminate some of the things that could be your answer. So here's the question. Why are you following Jesus? And I understand that in this room, there is a chance that you're here and you're not following Jesus, and that's fine. Today would be a great clue. I wish early on that I really could understand the ins and outs of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And we're going to hear from the mouth of Jesus some of the reasons why we shouldn't be following Jesus. (laughs) You may like, why? Well, we'll get there. So here's a, and, and this is for Mother's Day also, another little clue here. Motive matters. Now you can be, if you ever, you know, really tried to be kind and um, courteous to someone or tried to do the right things, but you have the wrong motives for it. And it, you know, usually backfires in your face. It usually, like your effort, have you ever seen people that are, you know, they want to do the right thing. Their words are saying the right things, but their body language and maybe their eyes or their body, you know, just what they're doing in front of you doesn't communicate what they're saying. Um, actions are the same way. The, the reasons why we do what we do matter. And Jesus is going to deal with those motives because, as you'll see, when you have a charismatic leader, which is what Jesus was, healing people, doing miraculous things, people will follow because they want to see a show, because they, they want something from Jesus. And he's going to deal with that. And here's here's the tension that we're going to go with today is that what happens if we get it wrong there's a conversation that jesus has with people that are doing uh what they do to to follow jesus but out of the wrong motives and um they're talking about this reunion with god after this life he said there will be people that come to me and they say lord lord we and they fill in the blank of things that they did for the Lord and, and Jesus in the story says, I don't know who you are. And so there's there's a, a there's a danger that if we don't get this right. And I know last week we talked about the idea of being born again and that you have to enter into this new birth to even see or experience or enter into the kingdom. So it is very, very, very negative for us if we don't get this right. If we don't understand and get the why we're following Jesus correctly, we can 
spend our whole life, because we saw this last week with Nicodemus. Nicodemus was the cream of the crop. There won't be anybody in this room that knows more scripture, that does more good things, that obeys the law better than Nicodemus. And Nicodemus, as we saw last week, missed it. He's coming to Jesus in the darkness, in the hidden, going, what do I need to do? And Jesus is telling him, you need to be born again. So even the one that looks like, for our perspective here in the world, like he should be the one. We should be going to him. He missed it. So there is a danger that if we just do what we think we should do and our motives aren't correct, that we may miss Jesus altogether. We may be surrounded by the things of Jesus, but not really understand what it means to follow Jesus. So we're going to pick up the story uh, in John 6. And in John 6, there's a couple things that happen before we get to verse um, 25, where we're going to start. And I, I'm just going to I'm just going to walk you through them just so we have an understanding, because the conversation that starts in verse 25 is there because of what happens before. And it's really important as we read the Gospels, as we read the Word of God, context is important. Not only motive is you know, motive matters, but context of what's going on really, really matters. So what's going on previous to this, and you've heard these stories, they're going to be very familiar to her, to you if you've been around the Bible. And if you're not, I'll, I'll fill you in on the gaps, and it's, it's quite all right. So the first thing that happens at the beginning of um, John 6, which isn't going to be on the board, I'm going to walk you through this, is Jesus feeds 5,000 people. And not that's 5,000 men. That's how they recorded it. They didn't record the women and children were there. So thousands and thousands of people, up to potentially 12,000 people, had followed Jesus because they saw him doing miraculous things. And when people do miraculous things, it draws people to them. So people are following him. They go up to a hillside, and Jesus begins to teach them. And at some point during the teaching, it's getting late in the day, he's going, hey, we need to feed them. And so he asked one of his disciples, how much would it cost for us to get bread for everybody? And the guy's like, oh, you know, they're a, they're a the startup ministry. They don't have a very deep pockets. And he's like, we couldn't even give them a taste of bread, each of them a taste of bread for, I think it was 200 denarii. And I'm sure that probably they didn't even have that. He's like, I don't even know what we're going to do. And then another disciple says, well, hey, we got this kid. And I don't know why they would even think this way. But he's like, hey, it's like if you're on a, you know, you're at a uh, the school and, and no one brought their lunch and the cafeteria isn't working, but you've got one kid that his mom, who loved him, more than the other's moms, I guess, uh, packed him, good mom, uh, packed him a lunch. And it's like, hey, let's take this one lunch, because that's what one of the disciples did. They're like, hey, we have this one kid with a, you know, a few pieces of bread and some fish. Like, I'm sure the other disciples are like, you're an idiot. Like, thank you, Captain Obvious. We have a few, so you and I can have a snack and everybody can watch us. And so Jesus asked Philip that question not because he wanted him to answer it correctly. He set him up. He wanted him to have the tension of, I don't know what to do. And let Jesus solve the problem. So Jesus solves the problem with taking what he brought to them, saying a blessing over it. And I don't know how this happened, but he began after he prayed, he began to break that bread, and that bread did not finish being broken out into these 
baskets that are being delivered to the people that are sitting on the hill until they were full. And then he did the same thing with the fish. He just kept breaking it until they were full. And, you know, reading for this week, you know, there's there's people that want to um, take away the miraculous of Jesus. And it was like, well, really what just happened is everybody shared their lunch and it was just this awesome, great moment, which doesn't make any sense. Why would there be leftovers? Twelve basketfuls of leftovers with people's food. There was a miracle happened. Jesus did something that no one else could do. He just kept breaking it apart until it was done. And they were filled. So much so that in their enjoyment of being fed, and here's, here's the beginning of the dangerous of following Jesus incorrectly. In verse 15, which isn't going to be on your screen either, but it says, perceiving, because he's God, he understands what you're thinking. Like right now, he understands what you're thinking, even when you don't speak it. He said, perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king. Could you imagine, like, if, if people rush into the room and be like, Heath, you're going to be our king. Ah, I mean, like, by force. Like, I don't want to be the king. No, you're going to be the king. And so Jesus goes and withdraws to the mountainside. They can't find him. They were going to make him by king by force because they wanted something specific, which we're going to catch on. So the disciples were sitting there and Jesus disappeared into the mountain and they don't know what to do, but they had an agenda. They had their, you know, where they were supposed to go, the next stop on the trip. And so they get in the boat to go to the other side. And during the night, a storm comes and... It's crazy, the winds and the waves, and Jesus is not there with them. And so, like, it's all great, you know, you can take away the miracle of the, the 5,000, but what do you do about this? I mean, maybe they're hallucinating. Probably not. Not probably not. They're not hallucinating. So they're on the boat, the winds and waves are kicking up, and all of a sudden you see King Jesus walking on the water. I know you're jaded and you've seen special effects and, you know, you, you're, you're going, well, there's something underneath. You're trying to think through. They didn't have that. There was, you've not been jaded by people, magicians, fooling you. This is like a man walking on water in the middle of the sea and they're freaking out and Jesus tells them, it is I. <laughs> like when crazy is happening, someone says, it is I. I mean, like, I. I'll take your word for it. Do not be afraid. And then he entered onto the boat and they were on shore. For free. This is just a side note. Has nothing really to do with what I'm going to say, but someone in here needs to hear this. That story is not about the storm or the absence of the storm. Because some people want Jesus to take away the storm that's going on in your life. See, it's not that the storm ends when Jesus enters the boat. It's that Jesus gets in the boat. And this is what we're talking about. This is where we're at. This is the gospel, is that we have a God who put on skin and lived among us and journeyed out into their mess. 
This is what we want because we want a God that's going to journey into our mess. And, and let me just tell you this. And, and some of us are following or are not following Jesus presently or in the past because of something he's not done for us. Because of the storm that he didn't take away <laughs> or the whatever. And we can miss Jesus by waiting for him to do the thing that we want him to do and and miss the one thing that he wants from us, which is for him, him, not his work, not his action, but for him to be our treasure. And so this picks up uh, where we're going to start off in the scripture today in John 6 verses 25 through 40. And then we're going to continue. We're going to skip a little bit and continue on. So they're on the other side now, Jesus and his disciples, the people who had been following Jesus, who had been fed by Jesus, who had, you know, seen the miraculous of Jesus are looking for Jesus. They don't find him. They know he didn't enter into the boat with his disciples because they saw the disciples leave after Jesus hid himself in the mountain. And so they they go on a hunt looking for Jesus. They arrive where the disciples are. And this is where we end. So or start in verse 25, it says, when they found him. On the other side of the sea, <laughs> I love how he just ignores some things. So there's some things that you're going to ask that you just don't get an answer to. <clears throat> and, um, and they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? <laughs> how did you get here? How are you here? Because we know how we got here. We saw you go one way. We saw your disciples in the boat go another, and you're not here. They knew he wasn't on the boat. In verse 26, it says, and Jesus answered him, but not what they want. He said, truly, truly. Remember last week when we were talking about in um, his conversation with Nicodemus, when he's when he uses the word truly, truly, it's like attention. Like you need to hear what I'm getting ready to say. It's not like, hey, this is true. Listen, he's saying truly, truly. I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs. But because you ate your fill of the loaves. So he's dealing with this idea that we're trying to work through today. Is the why are you following Jesus? Because most of these people here were following him because of what he was doing. Miracles. Or what he could do for them. The loaves. So he didn't answer their question like how did I get here? That's not important. The why I did the miracle and all these other things aren't important. It, it is what the miracle is pointing to, which is Jesus. I stole this from somebody else. If you ever hear me say anything that sounds brilliant or whatever, it's usually robbed. I'm just saying. I'm not that original. I think this came out of John Piper said this. Jesus did not come to be useful. He came to be precious. See, like I... I mean, that's, I wish I could say stuff like that, but I didn't say that. But it's true. Jesus did not come to be useful. He came to be precious. And our problem with most of us today, me including at times, is we want him to be useful. And as long as he's useful, we want him and we want to follow him. We want to be obedient to him. And as soon as he ceases being useful, we have no interest in him. But he is not interested in being useful for us, he's interested in being precious to us. Verse 27, it says, do not work for food that perishes. 
but for the food that endures to eternal life, which here he's going to answer a lot of his questions in here. But for the food that endures to eternal life, which the son of God will give to you for on him, God, the father has set his seal. And they said, to him, they said to him, what must we do? <laughs> I love this. What must we do to be doing the works of God? See, the problem with Nicodemus and the problem with most of our American Christian culture is we're looking for the pattern of obedience that will get us into heaven. We're not looking for precious. We're not looking for the treasure. We're looking for the pattern. We're looking for do A, B, and C. And then you get there. Give me the list. Give me the list of what I can't do. I mean, I did youth ministry for nine uh, years um, before we moved here to plant the church. And, and, and most kids were like, you know, where's the line? Like, tell me where the line is. Is, is that is that? That's the line. So just as long as I don't cross that line, I'm okay. <laughs> the problem is, is there's not necessarily a line. It's a, it's a heart issue. It's not a line issue. It's not like I can do these little sins over here and it's not a big deal. But when I get to this line and I step over it, woo, God's going to be mad at me. Instead of the issue, the line can be way over here. <clears throat> And if our heart is after the wrong thing, we've missed it without even approaching the line. But feel confident in who we are in our own personal righteousness righteousness because we're here instead of the precious treasure that we have in Jesus. Verse 29, it says, Jesus answered them. So they want to know what the work is. What must we do to be saved? Question that's asked by several people in the gospel. One of the others was the young rich ruler. I don't know if you remember the story, but he came to Jesus like, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus gives him the things, the line. Don't, you know, have you not done? And here's the line. And he's like, I've done all these since my youth. But he knew that there was something else. There was something else that was missing. And Jesus answered them, this is the work of God. That you believe in him whom he has sent. The work, hear this, because later on there's something else going to be introduced. It's going to get super weird. Jesus is going to tell you to eat his flesh and drink his blood. Vampire diaries right here. He's going to say these things, but he's already answered his question here. He's already saying, this is the work. This is the thing that you are to do. It is to believe in him who he has sent. And belief always leads to action. Okay? So we're not talking about, like, before I was regenerated, before I said yes to Jesus... I believed in the truths that were out there about the Christian culture, but I had not submitted to those beliefs that turned into action. Not saved by the action, but the action shows our belief. 
heard uh, another guy say this. It says, we only believe in the parts of the Bible that we do. Belief is always going to show or show itself in action. So he's saying, hey, the work is believing in me. But for me to say, I believe in Jesus and who he is and what he says, that should move me to action. That should move me to something, to surrender, to obedience, to say, oh, I believe. Remember, also in the New Testament um, says that even the demons believe. But their belief didn't move into action, into obedience. This is the work. And, and just to identify this, just to make sure this isn't just an isolated event, just so we are on the same page, Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is a gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one can boast. The work is believing, not a work. I'm telling you, like the most dangerous thing that you can do is that you serve Jesus because you want something and you equate that into an action of obedience, meaning like if I attend church every Sunday and I don't cross that line over there and I throw some money in that beautiful, beautiful little box over there. We don't even pass a plate. There's Look at that thing. I mean, that's somebody made that for us like six years ago, still holding together. If I throw some money in there at the end of service and serve a little, I'm good. The, the, the list. You want the list. I'm telling you, I like... There's years of my life that I just wanted a list. Just tell me the things. like Because I wasn't interested in the treasure. I was interested in not having the punishment. And you don't get into heaven out of fear of hell. You get into heaven out of love for Jesus. Like that's because it's not even about heaven. It's not about this place. It's about the person that you get. All the other things don't matter. It's all about Jesus. And he, he's, he's working this because there's a people that want him for the wrong reasons. They want him to establish a kingdom on their planet now in this time, in this reading. They want to eliminate Rome. They want to reestablish their kingdom there. And Jesus didn't come for that. He came for something bigger than the tangible now, for bread in their bellies. In verse 30, it says, so they said to him, nah. I love, like anytime Jesus says something with authority, they're like, prove it. Hmm? What are you going to do? What are you going to do to show us that this is true? And so they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? And then they go back to the old. They're always throwing in the Old Testament. Hey, hey, we got Moses. Look, look. Our fathers, because here's the proof, for at least for them, our fathers ate manna in the wilderness as it is written, because that's the authority, what they had read, what was written. 
He gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, (laughs) truly, truly, remember, important, like what I'm going to say, you need to listen to. Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not because their hope was in Moses. Their hope was in Abraham. It says, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. The gift didn't come from Moses. Always comes from God. But then he introduces this theme that's going to run on for the next little bit is what is true bread? That's not like just gluten free bread, like true bread. that's not going to hurt anybody like truth. What is the true bread? And he's going to deal with this leading on. So in verse 33, it says the bread of God. He's answering his questions again. He's answering these things that they're asking For the bread of God is he, referring to himself, who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, sir, give us this bread always. They're like, what time do we need to show up at the Jesus bakery to make sure that we get our bread every day? Make sure that we get this life-giving bread. So we have our feel because they were still thinking bread in my belly means that I'm alive. Because their concern was their life right then, not their life past that moment of having a full belly. They wanted the loaf and not Jesus. In verse 35, it says, Jesus said to them, and he's 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 digging this trench for them to get it, this truth that they're like, he's like, look, just Listen, and Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Getting weird. It's all right. It's going to get a little bit weirder. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall not thirst. And and this is a, a very common thing. He's already done this. Well, maybe hasn't already done this, but there's two times that this theme is mentioned. There's another time with the Samaritan woman at the well. I don't know if you all remember that, but she was. Every day going to the well to get water so that she could, you know, have water to cook and clean and wash and, and um, water her animals and all these things. And it's tiring. Like you take it for granted that you can go into your kitchen right now. Now, you might want to filter that water that comes out of your tap. Anyway, anyway uh, that you can just go turn on that tap and you can get as much water as you want. But they didn't have to. And, and she's having this conversation with Jesus saying, I can give you water that you'll, so you'll never thirst again. And she's not thinking, I'm getting the precious. I'm getting the treasure. I'm getting the Christ, the Messiah. She's thinking, I'm getting water in my house. Like, they're gonna, you're going to run this living water into my house and I never have to come down here and do the work again. <clears throat> Verse 36, this is, But I have said to you that you have seen me And yet you do not believe. Here is where we're getting back to the belief. They wanted the bread of life, but they were missing it. He was right there and they did not see or believe. Remember last week? Last week, without being regenerated, without God doing something in you, you cannot see or enter into the kingdom. And so they're right there in front of the incarnate God who was promised. This isn't even like people that didn't understand what was going on. These are people that have grown up in the tradition of the Jews. They 
knew the prophetic words. They knew when there was a Messiah was coming. They knew the prophetic words. They had seen it written. They knew what was coming. And they're right there in front of him. And they don't get it. Because he just said the, the bread of life or the work of God is believing. So they're right there and they don't see. Verse 37 says, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out, for I have come down from heaven. So just in case they miss the fact that eternal life comes from the one that comes down from heaven, he's making it clear that one that I'm just referring to is me. Not to do, but Jesus is clarifying. Like, I didn't come down from heaven to do my thing. He says, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose none of all that he has given to me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my father, that everyone who looks on the son and believes in him shall have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. So there's a a tension because they understand the scripture. They understand what he is saying and they want to argue with him. So the next little section is them arguing that he said this come down from heaven because they understood in the original text that that is identifying him as the Messiah. That is identifying him as the son of God. And they went on. It's like. That's like me. which I'm not claiming this. Just an illustration to you. That's like me saying, hey, guys, I'm Jesus. I'm the Messiah. I'm the Christ. And then you grew up around me and you're like, I know your mom and dad, boy. Like, I know what hospital you were born in. Like, like you know, if you knew me a little, like, I wiped your butt. Like, you ain't the Messiah. I cleaned up your vomit. You're just, a, you know, you're just, and this is what they, they're like, nah, like, that's Joseph and Mary's kid. And he's saying he can't, because they use the scriptures like, the Bible says that they know not where he comes from. They're like, we know where you come from. But they're missing the truth that is right there in front of them. And they argue back and forth. And he's like, unless I give it to you, you're not going to get it. This is what Jesus is saying to them. He's talking to them and they're not getting it. They're frustrated with that. And he wants to just close the conversation. You ever get so far in a conversation, you're just like, I'll say anything to make it end. Like, this is not what Jesus did, but, you know, like, this is what I feel like. Fine. Eat my blood. I mean, eat my body and drink my blood. Look, okay, conversation over. And this is kind of what happens. Uh, you know, Jesus, he's not tired. He has a purpose and point. But in, in my version, he's tired of this stupid dialogue where they're not getting the reality of what's in front of them. And so in verse 51, we pick it back up. He says, I am the living bread. Clarify. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread. Confusing. I know. I'll explain. He will live forever. (laughs) Could you imagine standing in front of man? And he was like, if you eat, I'm I'm the bread of heaven. And if you eat the bread, you will live forever. But. You don't look like bread for one. And I'm pretty sure it's against our rules to eat people. 
<laughs> and the bread that I will give you for the life of the world is my flesh. See, they're still like, they don't understand the cross. They don't understand what's getting ready to happen. In 52, it says, the Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Like, they're thinking it. They're like, we're not, for one, we're not going to eat it. Cannibalism has always been bad. Okay? Not just kind of bad. It's always been bad. And so Jesus, understanding what's going inside their heart, says this. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I said to you, look, bells ringing, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Conversation over. Like they weren't getting his analogy at the beginning, and he takes it all the way to the end that you have to either go, I'm all in, or no. And this is exactly what happens. Remember, okay, let me let me clarify this before we go any further and before you get into I had a weird conversation with this drunk guy when I was in college that it was like, you know, I, I don't know how it came up that I was a Christian. It was like, you got to eat the flesh of Jesus and drink his blood. That was our conversation. It was really weird. Like, I've just, I've, I, I, let me just give you a point. Like, if somebody's drunk, like, it's usually not going to work to have a conversation with them. So I was just like, okay, thank you, buddy. Appreciate it. I mean, he just would not. He just kept. Drink his blood. I'm like, okay. <laughs> Drink a little bit less of that red stuff. <laughs> so just so we just so we understand, eating and drinking of the flesh, which we did, we talked about communion a couple weeks ago. We we do it as a tradition. We do it as followers and disciples of Jesus. But what he's talking about here, believing is eating. Okay, so just so it's some weird thing you leave out of here and be like, I don't, Jesus has been gone for 2,000 years and his body, like, they saw it, it said it here, we can't, we don't even have access. Believing is the work. Remember back, back in verse 29, it says, this is the work of God, that you believe in him he sent. Taking it into you is the believing. It becomes a part of you. And walking out today and understanding why. I mean, because you may be in this room and have been following Jesus your entire life. I mean, I've had conversations that are with people that are in their 60s and 70s that have gotten saved in church. Been in church their entire life because they've missed the why. Some of your whys potentially, and this was some of my whys early on, is because this is what my family always did. This is what we do. We go to church and... You know, of course, you get baptized at some point because they'll look down on you if you don't. I got sprinkled. Yeah, I was Presbyterian back then. Not Presbyterians are not bad people. Like, that's not derogatory at all. But I didn't get it. I adopted a culture and missed the treasure. So here, here's where I want to land. I'm going to go ahead and have our worship team come back up and and I want us to wrestle. Like, I feel like part of the mission that God has given me as a pastor of a church is understanding that I'm going to be surrounded by people that identify with Jesus. Culturally, 
and maybe even personally, but they've missed Jesus. It happens. It happened in the, in the day of Jesus. They literally, and we all say to ourselves, I said it. If we would see, if I would see Jesus in per, like, believe. If I would have seen the miracles that Jesus did, believe. But you know what? A few moments later, most of his, like, crowd, still considered disciples, left him. And he looks to his twelve, and he's like, are you going to leave me too? And they have this, not even this cheery, they're not like, no, we love you. I still don't think they get it yet. But they know that there's nowhere else to get it. And they said, where else would we go? You have the words of life. See, we can be so close to it and miss. And, and maybe, maybe, maybe your motive has been wrong the whole time. And, and Jesus has not been your treasure. And without him being your treasure, he won't be your savior. He won't be your king or Lord. If you're there to use him for your good and your glory. There will only and always be just one king. And the problem with most of us in this room, me including at times, is our we are the sun, S-O-N, in our world. Everything revolves around us. And here's God this morning asking questions of you. Why do you follow Jesus? Because if you, if you get this first part wrong, because you have to answer this really at the beginning. If you get this first part wrong, everything that proceeds from it will be tainted. We'll be missing it. So which bread are you eating this morning? The one that perishes or the one that is eternal. And this is just re-emphasizing the same thing. Do you want Jesus for what he can do for you or do you want Jesus? Jesus did not come to our world so that he could satisfy a earthly desire for you. Jesus came to this world so he could he could satisfy all of your desires, which all of your desires, ultimately, everything that fuels your every decision. Has always been this burning desire for him. And we fill it with alcohol and relation. We fill it with so many things because we want. These other things to satisfy us when this. Only this one desire, this one thing that we have, and it motivates, it's why our world is so crazy, because that one desire is being pumped out in every other vein other than to the one source. And so as we close and as I pray and as we go back into worship, Ask yourself the question, why do you follow Jesus? And if you've never followed Jesus, here is the simple. 
We believe in a God who created us in his image. We sit here in this room created in his image, all of us. And there was a a break in our relationship with Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve sinned and fell short of the glory of God. And ever since then, every one of us are born into that separation. And God desired so much so that we could have a relationship again, that he sent his son to do what we could not do. There is no list that you could perform that after birth in your life that you could appease the wrath of God for our sin outside of what Jesus did for us on the cross. So knowing that, and this is the beauty of the gospel, knowing that God did the only thing that would work, which was to send his son in the flesh here to live the life that you could not live. To die the death that you deserve. And the work that we have to do is to believe. Period. But that belief moves to action. Like where is your treasure? I mean, literally, if you look through your life, you'll know what you treasure. You look through your wallet, you'll know what you treasure. You look through your time that you're devoting to things, you'll know what you treasure The one thing that we're called to treasure, the one thing that gives us life is Jesus. And so as we close today, I I just I I pray that our eyes would be fully open. And it's it's a it's a ongoing thing. As we journey, as God begins to call us into his kingdom, it is a lifelong journey of imperfection. Let me just tell you this. No one in this room, including the Yahoo that has a microphone on right now, is perfect. No one in this room is sinless. And outside of the gift and glory of Jesus, we would all be lost. But with him, our lives, our families, and our communities can be radically changed because he changes us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it is... Such a daunting task to get this right. Lord, we acknowledge that those that were closest to those that were right there missed it, and we don't want to miss it this morning. We don't want to miss the why. We want you to be our treasure, but we need you, if your word says so, we need you to pull us into that. We need you to open our eyes. We need you to remove our heart of stones and give us a heart of flesh so that we can follow and obey you. And so, Lord, I just pray over this room right now, wherever each individual finds himself, Lord, I pray that you would begin to call them into your kingdom, into your glory, seeing you for who you are. Lord, I pray that we would be a place, a people, a church. That don't stand before the precious and miss it. But we would stand before the precious. We would stand before the treasure and choose the right one. So Lord, teach us how to love you. Show us who you are even right now. Even as we worship, as we close, open our eyes. Open our hearts. 
Lord, thank you for opening your kingdom through your son to us. We pray these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.